Amy just got summoned um, to Sunday school, so here I am. Uh, can you please turn, to, uh, turn with me to Joshua chapter 7, please? But the Israelites were unfaithful in regards to the devoted things. Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zeremiah, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of them, so the Lord's anger burned against Israel. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth Avon, to the east of Bethel, and told them, Go up and spy out the region. So the men went up and spied out Ai. When they returned to Joshua, they said, Not all the army will have to go up against Ai. Send two of two or three thousand men to take it and do not weary the whole army. For only a few people live there. So about three thousand went up, but they were routed by the men of Ai, who killed about thirty-six of them. They chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes. At this the hearts of the people melted in fear and became like water. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord, remaining there till evening. The elders of Israel did the same and sprinkled dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alice, sovereign Lord, why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. If only we had been content to stay on the other side of, the, of Jordan. Pardon your servant, Lord. What can I say now that Israel has been routed by, by its enemies? The Canaanites and the other people of the country will hear about this and they will surround us and wipe out our name from the earth. What then will you do for your, your great name? The Lord said to Joshua, Stand up. What are you doing down on your face? Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which, is, which I commanded them to keep. They have t- taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen. They have lied. They have put them with their possessions. That is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they have been made liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. Go, consecrate the people. Tell them, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. There are devoted things among you, Israel. You cannot stand against your enemies until you remove them. In the morning, present yourself tribe by tribe. The tribe the Lord chooses shall come forward clan by clan. The clan the Lord chooses shall come forward family by family, and the family the Lord chooses shall come forward men by men. Whoever is caught with the devoted things shall be destroyed by fire, along with all that belongs to him. He has violated the covenant of the Lord and has done an outrageous thing in Israel. Early the next morning, Joshua had Israel come forward by tribes, and Judah was chosen. The clan of Judah came forward and the Zerorites were chosen. He had the clan of the Zerorites come forward by families, and Zeremiah was chosen. Joshua had his family come forward men by men. The Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zeremiah, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was chosen. Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and honor him. Tell me what you have done, do not hide, hide it from me. Achan replied, It is true. 
I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I have done. When I saw in the plunder of uh, plunder a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. They, had, they are hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. So Joshua sent messengers and they ran to the tent and there it was hidden in his tent with the silver underneath. They took the things from the tent, brought them to Joshua and all the Israelites and spread them out before the Lord. Then Joshua, together with all Israel, took Achan, son of Zerah, the silver, the rope, the gold bar, his sons and daughters, his cattle, donkeys and sheep, his tent and all that he had to the valley of Ahor. Joshua said, Why have you brought this trouble on us? The Lord will bring trouble on you today. Then all Israel stoned him. And after they had stoned the rest, they burned them. Over Achan, they heaped up a large pile of rocks, which remains to this day. The Lord turned from his fierce anger. Therefore, the place has been called the Valley of Ahor ever since. May the Lord bless reading of these words. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we come, we have a look at this passage from your Holy Word. We ask that you might teach us from it, that we might live lives consistent with your character and in conformity with the Gospel. Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know about you, but when I read that passage, it causes me some problems. A number of passages in the Old Testament cause me some problems. And this causes at least two, the particular that I want to talk about this morning, which I think have relevance specifically from the passage for us. The first of them is this whole concept of grace that Christians believe in and what I read in that passage. We understand, don't we, that yes, we are distanced from God because of our sin. He is angry towards us because we have rebelled against him. That's the condition of the human heart since Adam. In that rebellion against God, we are condemned, rightly so. And there's nothing that we ourselves can do to make it right with God, which is why Christ Jesus came. And that is we as Christian people have put our faith in Christ. By his spirit, he changes our hearts and we are made right with God and his grace covers us. So that when we sin, we come to him, we understand that we are forgiven. And we know that no matter what we do, we cannot be taken from his hand. That he holds us and that he will bring us to himself. He will do that which he started in us and bring it to its completion. And we have this idea of grace. And so when we read this chapter, it bothers us a little bit. Not not only because Achan was killed, but it seems as though it, it goes even further than just Achan. And he's stoned to death. The second thing that bothers us is, I think, from that part of the story, it's not just Achan that dies. It's his family. It's his sons and his daughters, his donkeys, his sheep. They even stone his tent and burn it. Everything that's with him gets destroyed. And not only that, 
Just remember there are 36 extra widows. Fathers who are no longer there for their children from Israel because of what Achan did. His sin is not just having a consequence on him, but it has it on his family and even further on the whole of the covenant community. And that bothers us. I think those two things bother us for a number of reasons. Number one, we have that idea of grace that we hold really tight to. In some ways, we've actually become like what Paul was talking about in the the book of Romans, where people almost go so far as to say, well, we can continue to sin because it just shows God's grace and abounds even more. And we we struggle with this concept of sin. We almost minimise it and minimalise it in our thinking because we have a true understanding and a right understanding of how wonderful grace is in Jesus Christ. But the other thing that bothers us is our religion, our faith, has become a very personal thing, a very individual thing. It's mine. And we struggle with this concept that maybe it's ours as well. I don't know if it's Western. I see it more in the West than I maybe have in places like in Africa where I've been, where there's a concept of community and the fact that we interrelate with one another. But particularly here... I don't want to have the consequences of somebody else's wrongdoing. I I don't want that. That's not fair. That I might suffer because of what someone else does. We've even gone further than that. I don't want to suffer because of what I've done. (laughs) Not just what someone else has done. Let's not suffer at all. There's no consequences to what we do wrong. And so this consequence, this, this, this statement that we've read in this year about sin bothers us. I'd like to go through the story and just highlight a few of the things. And and there are four areas that I want you to remember. If you've got a pen, jot them down. I'm not going to go through them until the end in terms of a summary. But as they crop up and you think something, well, that fits in that area, just jot it down. Hopefully there's some memory aids here. So you'll be able to get to the first thing is the catastrophic consequence of sin. As we go through this, and you've already picked up some of that, there is a a consequence for sin, and it's not a small consequence. It's catastrophic, and we need to have a look at that and understand that. Why is that so? The second is the contemporary context. How does this relate to us? It's OT. It's not NT. Not only that, it's back then, it's not here. So what's the contemporary context? For all of this. Thirdly, how does this relate to the covenant community? That's us. Or if you like, the chosen church. Right? How does this relate to us? Not just individually, but as a group. And then lastly, how does this relate to our Christian confidence? Which is this understanding of grace that we have. How does it relate to that, our confidence in Christ that we have, our Christian confidence? So those four areas, the catastrophic consequence of sin, the contemporary context, covenant community, and the Christian confidence. Now, they all start with C. I thought that was really cute. It's actually kind of cute. right? Everything matches up. Let's go through the story. You will remember from 
Joshua chapter 6, how the people of Israel had been obedient. Pastor Darrell talked about that last week and it's been over the last few weeks. The, the obedience of the people of Israel. They had gone in to conquer the land. As they went in to conquer, particularly Jericho, God did an amazing work amongst them and defeated the town on their behalf. We actually get no record in chapter 6 of any Israelite person being killed during the battle. And that's consistent with what we read in the first five chapters of Joshua. Joshua promises, Joshua is promised by God that God will be with his people and he will aid them and they will not be defeated. Not just corporately, but individually. None of them, it seems, were even killed during the attack on Jericho. God did an amazing blessing for them. Not only that, we have in chapter 6 this, this concept of grace that came in with, with Rahab. Rahab as an individual showed faith in God. Not only was she blessed, but her whole family was blessed. Her whole family was, instead of being Canaanite, became a part of the Israelite nation. They had said right at the very end of Joshua chapter 6, God said, as you go in, destroy completely Jericho. It was touched on last week. Why was this? God said to the people, basically, Jericho is mine. I'm giving you the whole land, but this is kind of like the first fruits of your conquest into the land. Everything in it belongs to me. That which is evil, destroy. It has filled up my wrath against it. People animals, all their goods to be destroyed. You can't keep any of it. It's under judgment, it's under condemnation, it's devoted to destruction, if you like. Some of what's in there is mine to keep, God said. He said, the gold, the silver and the metal comes into my treasury. You get to keep nothing. This is your first fruits, if you like. It's kind of like the tithe. The first fruits of what God provides go back to him. He said, this is mine. When they go out and they conquer the rest of the land, they get to keep the booty. Right? This belongs to God. He said, you Israelites are not allowed to take it. And so we come to verse 1, chapter 7. And the first word is, but. But the Israelites acted unfaithfully in regard to the devoted things. Achan, son of Carmi, son of Zimri, son of Zerah, the tribe of Judah, took some of them, and so the anger of the Lord burned against Achan. Yes? No. All Israel. His anger burned against all Israel because of this. Then we have the story of Joshua going up to send some people to kill or to conquer Ai. Now, Ai was about 10k away, 10 mile away. It was on a major trade route. The word AI actually means ruin. It's most likely that this was not even at this time a occupied village. It was pretty much a ruin at that time. And the people from Bethaven and Bethel, two other towns in the area, used it because it was on the pathway to keep a garrison of men to protect the pathway. And so Israel sent some spies up there, as Israel throughout history keeps sending spies places. They still do it. Right? And as they were sent up to look at it and to see how can we conquer this place. And they come back to Joshua and say, 
Jericho's huge. Nobody died. We took this with, with God's help. Two or three thousand people's plenty. AI is kind of small, and you know, there's only a few hundred folk there. We can knock this off. Don't send everybody up because it's a hill, they'll get tired. Let's just send enough people up to kill them and we're done. Now, people say that was Joshua's sin in that he did that. He didn't send everybody out. I'm not positive about that. If I read the chapter, the sin of the people of Israel is not Joshua's confidence. The sin is not the fact that he said, this is the direction we're supposed to head. That was the direction they were supposed to head as we read in chapter 8. They were supposed to go and destroy Ai. And as Pastor Darrell said last week, if you know where God wants you to go and you've had no further revelation, go. So that's what Joshua did. But when they get up there, it's clear that this time God isn't with them because the army, the two, 3,000 people go up and they come running back like little girls. That's rude to little girls, I'm sorry. But they were scared up there and they come running back. Not only that... As they attack these few hundred people, at least 36 of them are killed. Now, you've got, a, you've got a group of people of 2 million and 36 people are killed. And what happens? Their hearts melt with fear. They're confused totally. They had expected the continued blessing of God. But because of sin in the camp, with Achan who sinned. Joshua probably didn't even know that Achan did. In fact, it's almost certain Joshua had no clue what was going on. The 36 men didn't have any idea that Achan had done something wrong. And yet the people of Israel corporately no longer received the blessing of God. Joshua gets down and he, he tears his clothes and he gets on his face and he whines for most of the day. I don't know if you remember reading it. Was that a really good confession that you think on his part? Basically what he said is, we failed and it's all your fault, God. You didn't help us out here. In fact, he goes further than that and said, it was probably better if you didn't bring us here. He's kind of forgotten Jericho. And he says, we're in trouble and you didn't help. Would it be better if we just stayed on the other side of the Jordan River and you'd left us alone because now we're just going to get defeated. We're going to get destroyed. If anything, here is where we get the start of Joshua as a part of the people of God sinning, if you like, or failing in their responsibility. God, in verse 10, comes to Joshua and says, Get up. Stand up. What are you doing lying down there on your face? God says, I'm a God of my word. I told you this had happened. If anything, Joshua's sin is the fact that he was confused in all of this. He didn't know what was going on. God said, I promised that this would be what would happen. If you obeyed me and kept obeying me, as my covenant people, I would bless you. If you don't obey me and you have sin amongst you, I don't ignore that. If you like, this is one of the first catastrophic consequences of sin. What is it? Instead of blessing, you receive curses. For some strange reason, we in the church believe that what God does is when you do his will, he blesses you and then he progresses from that state of blessing to indifference to 
ignoring us to when really bad sin he might say something negative towards us and then he'll get angry down the back here. God says to Joshua, look, I told you this was happening. I'm for you or I'm against you. God's binary in this, not digital. There's not a huge range of things here. God says, if you don't follow me, you're against me. If you're not for me, you're against me. Conversely, if I'm not with you, I'm against you. The covenant that he had with them is that if you follow me and you obey me, I will bless you and keep you. If you don't follow me, then I'm against you. Humanly speaking, there's absolutely no way the people of Israel could have destroyed Jericho. Even with as many people as they are, these huge walls, humanly speaking, they couldn't have done what they did without loss of life. And what happens? Jericho is defeated, everything is destroyed, and, and it seems that no Israelites were even lost their life in that battle. God did the work. He blessed his people. What happens with Ai? Humanly speaking, they should have whooped tush when they went up there. Two, three thousand people, a couple of hundred, it's already a ruins. March up, knock around, knock them all over. Humanly speaking, that's what should have happened. God didn't just let them be and do it on their own. He was actually against them. He said, you have become devoted to destruction yourself because sin is in the camp. Sin is amongst you. There were covenant curses, not just covenant blessings. The first catastrophic consequence of sin that we have to understand is that if God removes his blessing, he's actually against us. He said, don't you know, someone in the camp has taken what was devoted to me. They've stolen. They've lied. They have put them with their own possessions. I told you, I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. I can imagine Joshua's face dropping. If there was anything, I think, that Joshua had done wrong before sending the people up to Ai, it is that he hadn't taken his leadership responsibility and the covenant community hadn't taken their their responsibility as a group of people to say, have we kept the Lord's commands? We tend to think that have I kept the Lord's command is what I'm responsible for. But the scriptures are clear that we're in a part of a community. We're a church. We're a gathering of God's people. I'm not only responsible for me, I have some responsibility for you and you have responsibility for me. What Joshua probably ought to have done is after the battle of Jericho, he goes around to his commanders and says, did you take any? God said, not take any. Did you take any? Did you take any? Did you take any? And they should have gone around and said, have you taken anything? Did you take any? Did you take any? To make sure that as a group of people they were keeping God's covenant. They didn't do that. Verse 13, go consecrate the people. Tell them, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. That which is devoted is among you. You cannot stand against your enemies until you remove it. Sin amongst the people of God 
does not bring God's blessing. There was on Facebook, I got friends on Facebook all over the place, but there was one of my friends, he's in uh, the south of the US. He's a Southern Baptist, very conservative. Anyways, he put one, you know, the questions thing. Most of you probably do questions. In, anyways, he asked this question um, uh, concerning why it is that there's no revival in the US. And his question had to do with there is no revival in the US because we don't suffer persecution. True, not true, what do you think? All right. And most people were saying that's true. We don't have revival in the US because we're not persecuted. Now, I wrote him a little note. But the thing is, do we think that's true, that God is going to bless us as his church here in Australia only when we get persecuted? If we live according to his word, he says that we will be persecuted, but he doesn't bring revival because we're persecuted. This chapter has a lot more to say, though, that the church of God, the people of God, the covenant community is not going to receive the blessing when there is sin amongst us. As we continue to allow sin to be concealed and we continue to be confused about what's going on amongst us as a people, God says, no, I want my bride to be holy. I want my people to be pure. We're saved by the blood of Christ, no question. By living according to his law and will, we don't gain his favour in the sense of it bringing us to salvation. But being saved people, he expects us to be holy. He says, go into all the world and make disciples, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. How do we show that we love God? By doing what he says. And this is it's not only an individual thing, but corporate thing. So early in the next morning, Joshua brings people after they have um, consecrated themselves, down in verse 16. He goes through all the tribes. Judah gets taken. Fascinating, isn't it? Rahab, as a Canaanite, from the, the city which is absolutely completely destroyed, the worst, it seems, place, because of her faith, is made an Israelite, not only her, but a whole family. Corporate blessing on Rahab because of her faith. Achan is chosen from the tribe of Judah, the best tribe in Israel. from which comes David and from which comes Christ. He is made no longer Israelite, but he's made a Canaanite. He's cast out him and his whole family. And what happens to him is what happened to Jericho. And they go down and they finally choose Achan. Verse 20, verse 19, Joshua says to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and give him the praise. Tell me what you've done. Do not hide it. Joshua's getting back to what he should be doing, finding out what's going on amongst his people and amongst us as people. Achan says, it's true. I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I did. When I saw the plunder, there was a beautiful robe from Babylon. I was going to bring my dressing gown, pop this on. Problem is it's green and it's not really pretty. It's got holes in it. But just to show you, this is what he saw. He basically saw a nice dressing gown. Maybe you could wear it in public. He said, I liked it. It looked good. But not only did I see it, I saw about two kilos of silver. 
and there was a wedge of gold, about a, half a kilo in size. He said, when I saw all of that, I coveted them. I wanted them. What's the particular sin here? What's, what's, what's the context that we have to look at that's applicable for today? How do we take the principle from this? There were two groups of things here. The first is the robe. God had made it very clear that all those sorts of things were a part of Canaan, they were a part of Jericho. If you like, they were contaminated and they had to be destroyed. And Achan said, I, I saw that. I saw that which God had said I wasn't to have and I wanted it. We can see a direct application to us today. There's things that we know God doesn't want us to have, to do, to be. And we say, no, but I, I like them. It's pretty. He saw it, he coveted it. I like watching some of those t- shows on TV. They're funny, aren't they? You know, I, I know they're rude and crude and sexually inappropriate and they have bad swearing and everything else. I know that, but they're funny. I like listening to them. And I know some of those music videos, they're soft porn. I understand that. But man, the music's good. I like it. I can, I can listen to it. I can watch it. I know this relationship is inappropriate that I'm having with this person. But I like them. They're cute. And I feel good when it happens hurting anybody. It's just a robe putting it on. I like looking in the mirror. It's great. I want it. Fascinating, isn't it? Achan takes and God says you're condemned. Not only curse, but condemnation comes. It's another catastrophic consequence of sin. Condemnation. God doesn't say, man, I told you not to do that just this once. How do we know how serious condemnation is? Because Jesus Christ came to die on the cross because of it. He didn't just come to die on the cross because of murder and rape. He came to die on it for inappropriate things that go on through our mind, through the little lies that we tell, through the stuff that we want. That's how serious sin is. But he didn't just steal a robe that belonged to the Canaanites and was contaminated and condemned. He stole the silver and the gold. Who did the silver and gold belong to? Silver and gold belonged to God. God had said, bring that into my treasury. And Achan said, well, God's got enough gold, right? God's got enough silver. Ah, He probably doesn't need it and he's not going to miss it. So I'll keep it. And he wraps it all up and he takes it into his house, tent, digs a hole, sticks it in there and covers it over. Not only do we take that which is from the world which we know we shouldn't take, but we also take that which belongs to God which we know we shouldn't take either. We say, yes, Lord, you say you want my offerings of of my money for the work that you have to be done, tithes and offerings. I, I know you want that. You want my time? You want me to be involved and active in service to you? But like, I need it. 
I'm busy. I know you want my gifts, but hey, there's other things that I can do with them, and I don't know that I necessarily want to share them with you right now. So we keep it. The funny thing is that Achan here, he didn't kind of think deep in his heart, there's nothing really dangerous about this. You'll notice. What does he do? He wraps it up and he hides it. I don't know about you, but I don't sin in public very often if I can help it. I sin privately, don't you? We know that it's wrong. Driving along in our car, somebody cuts us off, we want to give them the finger. We do it under the dashboard where no one can see. Because you don't know which Christian people are driving around watching and saying, hey, what's the pastor doing making hand signals like that? You do it under the dashboard, no one can tell. When do people look at porn? They don't do it in the internet cafe with their friends around having coffee. Hey, come and have a look at this. They don't do that. They do it at home. They do it at night. They do it in their room with the door closed. They know it's wrong. When people don't give their tithe or their money to God, they don't... No, thanks. Don't give anything there. Put a little bit in. We kind of hide the things that we do. I'm really busy. I did it the other day. Or whatever it is. The only people who really see us is possibly our families when they're really close and we can't get away with it. But let me tell you, I think we even hide it from them. Maybe Aiken's wife here is some culpability as he was sneaking in with the dressing gown and all the gold in it. She said, what are you doing, digging a hole? <laughs> Nothing, dear. <laughs> no, seriously, what are you doing, digging a hole? Because... Wives don't give up with one quick nothing, dear. That just doesn't work. (laughs) Maybe she was in some way culpable, but I'm not even positive of that. He knew it was wrong and he took it and he covered it and he took it and he hid it. This is what we're like with sin. And Joshua says you need to confess it. Verse 22. So Joshua sent messages and they ran to the tent and there it was hidden in his tent with the silver underneath. They took the things from the tent, brought them to Joshua and all the Israelites and spread them out before the Lord. Fascinating, isn't it, confession? Confession isn't simply a matter of coming to the Lord and saying, Dear Lord, I know that I have done wrong and I'm really sorry. Will you please forgive me? Amen. Yes. Done. Dealt with. What did they do? They laid it out. Confession is coming to the Lord and saying, Lord, I know I shouldn't have looked at that stuff. I know I shouldn't have desired that person. I know I shouldn't have been greedy with my money. I recognise the time when I did it and I know it's against your law and I'm sorry. I've sinned. I've been wicked. I don't deserve your grace but I thank you so much that you still continue to give it to me because of your love. I thank you for what Christ Jesus did. That's confession, spreading it out before the Lord, having it dealt with, recognising what it is so that we don't do it again. And Joshua, together with all Israel, took Achan, son of Zerah, and stoned them. They had become trouble for Israel and they had trouble given towards them, and they were stoned and put in a valley of trouble. 
sin has its consequences. So let's go through these four things just briefly to wrap up. This is the story of Achan. Catastrophic consequences of sin. Curses and condemnation. God doesn't ignore it. He condemns it. He says it must not be. I think sometimes we have this weak understanding of gray, of, of sin because we fail to remember who God is. He's the holy Lord of the earth. He says you must not behave like this. Contemporary context. Firstly, I think, what are some of the way things that we can draw out of this about our sin? Firstly, we're careless about sin. We're very careless when it comes to sin. Either because we're confused, like Joshua was, blaming God, not really sure of what's going on around us. We don't go and say, what does God want us to be like? We don't go and, and talk to people and say, how are you walking with Jesus? How's your prayer life? How are things going? We don't really understand what God wants and God doesn't want. Even though we've heard it week after week after week, Joshua knew but didn't check. He was very careless. Not only are we confused about sin, but we conceal sin. We hide it. We keep it away. We have to be careful as the people of God, not only individually and corporately, but we don't do that. Hidden sin is like a bomb within our midst, ready to not only explode and destroy us, but causing problems. And if we keep hiding it, it means we're just being careless. When we were in Ethiopia at the school where I was, I was teaching, there was a, a little ornament that was at the front of the school. It had been there for 20, 30 years. It had been there when I was there as a kid at the school. It was a big brown tank and kids loved to sit on it and play on it. It was out there in the sun and cars would park next to it, but kids loved climbing on it. What the kids didn't know, what the parents didn't know, what the school didn't know, which I found out because I asked the question, was that it was a tank which had that much fuel in the bottom of it and it was filled with combustible gas. And as it was out there in the heat, it would expand and contract. All it needed was one hole or one puncture or one fire near it and it would explode. The kids were happily playing on the top of it. Everyone was playing around it. I took six months to find someone who was brave enough and stupid enough in the middle of the afternoon when there were nobody around to remove it. And all the people said, what did you do that for? I didn't tell them it was a bomb until I could get rid of it. What did you do that for? We liked it. We wanted it there. It was just concealed and deadly right in front of them. Sins like that. The next context that we have to think about is this sin of covetousness. This, in some ways, that's what's here. We covet things. We want them. We have to be very careful as the people of God not to do that. Two areas that we covet. One, we covet that which is contaminated by the world, and God says, don't do that, don't have that. But secondly, we covet that which has been consecrated to God. In both of those areas, we steal the sinful things from the world and the sanctified things from God and we say we want them for us. We as the people of God have to be very careful that we don't do that. So how do we respond as a covenant community? 
how do we respond as a covenant community? Firstly, we need to confront sin in ourselves and in each other. I don't mean you want to walk around and say, ah, so you do that. But we have to be aware of sin amongst us. And once we've got rid of the plank in our own eye and we can begin to see how we need to be a holy church, we need to help to keep each other accountable and confront that. It's, it's hard to go up to somebody and say, look, man, I've seen the way you behave with your friends and really you're a Christian brother. Is, is that really a good message of Jesus Christ? Do you really think that's the right thing? Do you read this scripture with me? What do you think? Or to go and see someone say, excuse me, I saw the way you behaved then. How's that going? Why do you behave like that? I was principal of the school. So I was like numero uno, number one. All these people working under me. There's this hierarchy. Right down the very bottom of this hierarchy, after a number of layers of people working, was a gardener. He was a 60-year-old gardener. 65. Short little guy, about that tall. Not very educated. Not a great lot of English. He did what I said when I said and how I said to do it. Great gardener. He was also a good friend of the family and a lovely man of God. One day, about, I don't know, mid-morning, get this little knock on my door and in walks Arto Barasa. He says, very humbly, can I talk to you? I said, yeah, love you to talk to me. Come on in and have a seat. And then his voice changed. He said, I'm not coming as a gardener. I'm coming as your Christian father. He said, I was watching you behave this morning as director of the school and I saw you treat one of the workers and you didn't do it very well. He said, in fact, you yelled at him and you were angry and you sinned and you need to get right with him and with God. I looked at him and I agreed with him. I said, but he was wrong. He deserved to get yelled at. He was doing the wrong. He said, no, no question. He did the wrong thing. But the way you behave was not Christ-like. You need to go and deal with it. He confronted me. We as a Christian community have to learn confrontation. Not rudely, but to deal with sin amongst us and amongst me and amongst each other. We have to learn to do that. Politely and graciously. For the good of the community and for the good of each person. We also have to learn to confess. Public sin, confess publicly. Private sin, we need to confess privately before God. Barasa said to me, he said, here, take my hand, I'll come with you. I said, where are we going? He said, you're going to go and apologise to him. <laughs> I said, seriously, that can wait till after lunch. He said, seriously, come with me now. <laughs> so we went off and I confessed my sin to this person. Rightly so. Out in the open, we have to learn to do this. It's not dealt with till we've done it. Covenant community have to confront, confess. And then we have to be conformed to the likeness of Christ. Joshua says to people, consecrate yourself. Conform to the right behaviour. God blesses his covenant people who act according to his will and purpose who obey him. 
Lastly, what about our Christian confidence? All of this sounds as though there's this terrible thing, sin, which is there and, and we constantly war with it, and all of that's true. That God hates sin and he's angry towards it, and all of that's true. Where do we stand then in our Christian confidence? And the simple answer, in Christ. Christ deals with all of that. He's paid the penalty for that. When we, as sinful people, come to Christ, he covers our sin. It's dealt with. There are still consequences sometimes. Sometimes those consequences are long-lasting and have to be dealt with. But if they're not dealt with, then they just destroy us and destroy everyone. In fact, Paul, in his writings, and even Jesus talking in Matthew, pretty much says that if you can't deal with it, then in the end you might have to put the person out of the church so that even if they die, their soul is still saved. They still are eternally forgiven. But it's better that the sin is dealt with than it allows to permeate amongst us all. Think of Ananias and Sapphira. Someone says to me, this is Old Testament, it's not New Testament. Ananias and Sapphira, stealing from God. It's actually the only time where the same word is used, chapter 7 and Acts chapter 6. Stealing from God, taking that which was consecrated to God. And they die. It doesn't mean they lost their salvation, but just said sin is serious. But our confidence is still there. Christ covers our sin. So if we as his people, his saved people, what we must do is to continue to come to him. Confess. He covers our sin. But we then continue on and we conform to that Christ-like image. That's our responsibility. I think that's what this passage is saying to us as God's church. Look for sin in ourselves. Look for sin amongst us. Not for the sake of pointing the finger and being pharisaical, but the point that we are God's holy people. Deal with it first within ourselves and deal with it graciously amongst each other. Privately, if that doesn't work, even further afield. If we don't do that, God's blessing is not going to be amongst us as his people. We wonder sometimes why we do not have constantly people added to our number weekly, those who are being saved. I think it's because there's sin within us that's never dealt with. If we don't deal with it, how will that change? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we as your people are so thankful that Jesus Christ took the curse and the condemnation that you have rightly given against sin. We thank you that we've been able to enter into this relationship individually and corporately with you. Pray that you might, by your spirit, work within our hearts to show us those areas that are within us which we need to get rid of, which we need to lay out before you and have put away from us. 
Father, help us with wisdom and grace to go to our brothers and sisters and help to keep each other accountable. That we as your people might be a holy bride, a pure people, people who live constantly seeing you bless our ministry in your name. Father, help us not to conceal our sin and to keep it away from you and away from others but to get rid of it out of our presence. And for Jesus, thank you that we are loved, cared for, and that we are your friends. We thank you in his name. Amen.